One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Most people may not understand that wealthy people, the ones who are successful, really have to deal with a lot of painful experiences. And when I say painful, I mean emotionally painful, meaning that sometimes people are after you for your money. I'm Brendan Wade, the founder and CEO of Seeking.com. 51-year-old Brandon Wade, founder of dating website Seeking Arrangements, says that he's finally found one. What's next? I mean, I know you're on this whirlwind of marriage, love, and, you know, continuing to develop that, but what's next for, for, for Brandon? My goal now is to change people's perception of seeking, um, to really establish it as a luxury dating website. And when, when I say luxury, I'm also trying to teach people what luxury really means. The true luxurious person would be able to walk into a Chanel store, buy whatever he or she wants, without even looking at the price tag. Hello and welcome to the Second Chance Podcast. I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This podcast focuses on the theme of Second Chance, exploring who deserves it, who has the authority to grant it, and what it means. We speak with people from diverse backgrounds, including those who have been given second chances, and those who some might argue don't deserve them. Brendan Wade, a wealthy entrepreneur, says he was searching for love in all the wrong places, relying on his wealth to attract partners. He believed love was only for those without money until he met Dana, his fourth wife and true love. They met through his own dating website, Seeking Arrangement, in 2020. Before meeting Dana, Brandon had dated sugar babies and endured a number of painful divorces. But after spending his 50th birthday alone, he knew he needed a change. After visiting a fortune teller who predicted he would remarry, he found the love of his life. Despite the outside world's judgement, Brandon and Dana say they are genuinely in love and are now happily married. Brandon's newfound appreciation for honest commitment has led him to rebrand his website, seeking to reflect his own personal romance. Launched in 2006, SeekingArrangement.com is a luxury dating website for singles. Seeking welcomes anyone looking for a premium online dating experience and its mission is to help its 40 plus million members 
find relationship success by encouraging honesty between partners. Brendan says his own story of finding true love serves as a testament to the transformative power of love. He wants people to know that his own experience has shown that a change in approach to dating can lead to a great relationship. Every relationship starts with how we feel about ourselves and love can bring joy and happiness at any point in life. Brandon hopes his story will inspire others to find the same joy he has found in his life. I always like to start my podcast by, you know, there's stuff that once your name was brought to my attention, once your history, you know, life was brought to my attention, there's lots of things you read. So I like to start conversations by asking you, Brandon, how you would describe yourself, because people can describe you as much as they want, but you know you, you know who Brandon is, you know who Brandon became and where he came from. So how would you describe yourself, Brandon, in a world where other people want to describe you or write things about the work that you've done and the businesses that you run? Well, that's a tough question because I, I feel differently about myself over the years. But, but if you would ask me, is there a common theme across the different versions of me, whether it's that version of me when I was a kid versus the version of me 20 years ago and the version of me now, I would say I am always trying to do the right thing. And, and, that, and that's, a, that's a really difficult uh, thing to define because what's ultimately right? And, and I would say deep inside, it's what's right by others and by me. I mean, that's really it. And I'm trying my best. That's, uh, that's what I would say, uh, is that common theme. But then if I had to describe myself as a human, I would say I'm, I'm awkward, I'm nerdy. I likely have a bit of autism, so I tend to be hyper-focused when I focus on things. That would be sort of the human version of me. And how would you challenge the depiction of you by the media or by other people who don't know you but might cause you some time to give them attention? How would you react to people who describe you in a different way to how you see yourself and those closest to you, like parents and loved ones, know you? I would say people change. I mean, if you have seen a version of me from the past where I firmly believe in a position... I'm probably out on TV defending it. But then once I realized I'm wrong and I have the facts to prove it, I'm more than happy to admit that I'm wrong and I I can show uh, that I understand a completely new vision, perhaps through my own actions, my own life, and my own behaviors. Like my dad said, you know, words, uh, words are great. They speak loud, but actions where it's at. Um, and I, I live by his philosophy for sure. And that's so true, wise man. And would you say that that development in your character is based on age and wisdom or is it through lessons learned? I mean, you just talked about admitting that when you're wrong, you accept that you're wrong and, uh, and we'll talk about that. But do you think that, that the changes in who you are as a person have come about because of time, that old wisdom of time, or is it because of the lessons that you've learned and the people that you've interacted with? Uh, it is the people I've interacted with, and um, it's also not fearing making mistakes. Uh, and when you fall, realize that you are happy. You know, you, you're more than happy to pick yourself up and try again, and not let that 
limit you. And I think a lot of people fall and they become fearful and they all of a sudden close out a lot of possibilities to what's possible for them in the future because of that limitation that they, that they have now put in their psyche. I'm fortunate in the sense that when I was growing up, I was taught to make mistakes. And so making mistakes is like um, secondhand to me. But ultimately, change does come from making mistakes, realizing you're wrong, willing to make that change. But it's also getting the right advice from the right people that you trust and who actually care about you. I think that's really important as well. And as we talk today, what would you say defines you, Brandon? I would say I finally met someone who loved me for who I am, fortunately on my own dating site, but then in the process showed me what true love really means. And, and in that journey, I realized I was completely wrong about love. You know, I, I thought love was a specific thing, but it turned out to be something completely different. And once you feel the experience, uh, the feeling of true love, there's really no turning back at that moment. I mean, you realize what the point of life is about. It's that moment that I would say defined um, that full transformation of me roughly about two and a half years ago when I actually met my wife. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I find love terrifying because it means different things to different people. What did it mean to you before you met the love of your life, your, your current wife? It means a lot of things. Uh, and, and the problem is it's highly contradicting some of those ideas and thoughts about love. If you hear from, say, somebody who perhaps belong to a gang, they might say, love is loyalty. And I've spoken to many um, women who uh, have been cheated on. And when we ask the question, well, what is love to you? Their answer is, well, love is sacrifice, you know. And, and when you look at those points, it becomes uh, confusing for some people because what, what truly is love? And even I, I believe in, on Netflix, there's actually a show uh, where people were asked what love is. And different people are given diff very different answers. So when you break the components of love down, um, at the very, very core of it, just like light, you know, at the very core of it is the quanta of light, I would say love is simply good intentions coming from another. That really is what it is. And you can project out to other people um, that good intention too. When I was a teenager, uh, I had a good friend and he, he you know, we would go out uh, in, in town and he would see a, a homeless man on the street, perhaps a, a beg, begging for money, and he would do something really mean, right? He would, uh, he would take a receipt that he had and throw it in, in, the, in, in the can um, of, of the homeless man. But that is an example of something that's relatively harmless, but there was no good intention in that. I mean, he could have simply just walked by and did nothing and just sent good thoughts and say well wishes to him. Even that is good intention. So understanding the quanta of love is kind of important because that sort of boils down to the core of what love is. A lot of people do nice things, but it could be superficial because behind the scenes, they might pretend to be nice, but in reality, there's an intention that isn't necessarily kind. 
And so I would define love in, in that way. Interesting. Where did it all start for you, Brandon? Because I've read that your journey started very differently in terms of your education and your aspirations. Uh, and then you, you, you found your dating platform creation out of your own struggles with relationships. That's what I've read. But I want to hear from you what that journey really was. I grew up in Singapore. And I did the, uh, the usual thing, the, uh, the O-levels, the A-levels, um, and all that. And I went to a, a, a school called St. Andrew's um, School, and it's an all-boys school. It's an Anglican missionary school started, obviously, by the British. And it, it, was, it was an amazing experience, but it was an all-boys school. So uh, I was, I would say, a nerd. In Singapore... We, I, I guess, the country in, in the country, the schooling system, you were sort of force ranked. So, so I knew uh, in my class of about 120 students where I stood every single year. So it's it's a highly competitive uh, society where parents put a lot of importance on education, and my parents was one of those who really placed uh, a lot of importance in education. And if we don't do well, we might get caned by mom. So there was an element of fear as well, initially. But soon, as I grew up, I realized, uh, hey, I'm not very good at speaking to women. I'm actually really shy. And mom used that as an opportunity to offer me some advice. And her advice was just focus on school. And of course, that's all she wanted me to do. Uh, and, and her point was, once you grow up and you're successful, that's what a woman want. Uh, she wants somebody that's capable of providing for the family. And you, you have the resources to be generous. That's what women want. That's, that's the, the language of love that women have. So it's based on those advice that then I powered my education. So she found an approach that worked in terms of offering me a, an incentive. A bit far future, but it worked really, really well because I focused on school. And I did extremely well. And, and it's one of those uh, weird sort of uh, situations that happened uh, as well when I was in high school. I, I failed my, my first physics ex exam, not because I was, I was not prepared for it, but because the teacher who was teaching the topic was extremely strict about how you, how you provide answers. It had to be exactly as in the book. I made up my mind that I was not going to fail physics again and I was going to do my very best. So I, uh, I studied like nobody's business. And I ended up being the first in, in my class and then being the first in school for the next few years and then being the first in physics in Singapore when I was 18. So it's that sort of sense of determination, I think, and knowing that I can do it um, that, that really defines sort of my, my core personality, I would say. And how did that lead to what you did next? Because when you left school, you went to a, a America, am I right, in thinking you went to America to continue your education as if what you'd achieved in Singapore wasn't enough. You then went for more. Yeah, uh, when I, uh, I applied to, to uh, a few schools uh, in, in the U.S. and I got into MIT, and so I went there for college. And um, my goals were, was I wanted to study physics and I wanted to, to be a Nobel Prize winner someday. That was sort of my, my goals. 
reality had other plans for me, I would say, because the first person I met when I uh, landed here in, in the U.S. Was, uh, was a kid out of California. And uh, he was, he was kind of like my roommate for the first year. And seeing what he did, I mean, he was also a physics major. But then when I started to read some of the papers he wrote, trying to disprove Einstein and things of that nature. And I'm like, man, he's light years ahead of me. He's really light years ahead. And, and that's a fault of the Singapore system as well. I mean, we're so in the system, we're not able to break out and think freely. Um, but some of these American kids, I'll tell you, they, they, they can really think outside the box. And at 18, they're doing stuff that grown-ups might be doing. Uh, and so that, that shook my confidence. But really what shook my confidence uh, the most uh, when I was in college was that I fell in love. And um, it, was, it was short, but it was uh, a genuine um, love that grew out of a deep friendship between me and, and someone I thought was, was what love represented for me. And um, it was short because it was in the summer. And by the end of summer, she had to, to leave um, on, a, on a trip with her family. I, I thought everything was great until she got back and um, broke up with me. And I think at that moment, uh, it, it was a big shock for me because love for me until that point is like a Disneyland fairy tale. Um, and for many years after that, it was no longer that. Um, love was more questionable because if love can hurt that much, then perhaps that's not the kind of love that I should be looking for or I should protect myself more. And, and after that heartbreak, I would say I started dating for pretty selfish reasons like my fear of loneliness, my need for sex, my need for validation of other women. You know, so it became, it became corrupted at that point, I would say. But isn't that the same for everybody? You go through an experience young in life that, that, that shapes your relationships moving forward, especially if it hurts, you know, if, if you didn't expect it to, to end and, and all relationships at the beginning come to an end, especially when we're young, because that's part of the, the learning curve. What did you do? What did you do, I mean, beyond trying to rebuild your relationships in the way that you thought was satisfying for yourself, selfishness, because you went on to develop something that was quite profound and quite profound in the sense that when you created this dating site, it was born out of your own struggles in relationships or other people's needs. It was really to solve my problems when it comes to dating. I mean, if, if I am shy which I am, and I, I'm not very good at one-on-one -on -one communication, it means meeting people, meeting women um, in a public setting simply isn't my, my forte. I couldn't, in a nightclub, walk up to some ladies and offer them drinks or, uh, you know, gather their interests with, with pickup lines. But that's not a weakness, Brandon, is it? I mean, for, for, for men and women that are listening to us in this conversation, that's not a weakness, is it? Because not everybody can or should do that. It, it, in some sense, it's a strength because that in itself can be quite attractive to, to the, the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever it is. It can be quite attractive. So it's not necessarily a weakness, is it? Well, yeah, it's, it's really not. It, it, it's only a weakness if you think it is. Um, plus, if it is a weakness, you can change it. You know, if you don't swim, you can learn how to swim. Well, as long as you conquer your fears, that, that is. And, and these days, I'm not 
as shy anymore. I have no issues walking up to people and speaking to them. So what does that say about my behaviors 20 or 30 years ago? Uh, it, it was a hiccup that required some rewiring, and I, I, I understand that now, and I understand how to go about doing that. But I wish I knew all those wonderful things when I was, was growing up. So being lost, I began my dating life basically searching in all the wrong places. And it's not that I was searching in the wrong places. It was more that I, was, I had a victim mindset, and I was, I was protecting myself. So I no longer trust people as easily as I did early on when I fell in love the first time. And I was perhaps always looking for faults that people might have. I became less forgiving. And it just began to snowball from there. <laughs> and soon I was so involved in the chase because it feels good where, whenever you get some dopamine hit, whether it's from sex or whether it's from validation because you just went on a date with a hot girl and she decided to go with you and it feels great. Whether it's that, uh, it, became, it became the wrong reward system for the wrong chase. And that's what I would say. Uh, it was where, where I ended up. And by the time I created Seeking, I was in my mid-30s and I haven't found love. I haven't found love. And so I created Seeking to meet people to solve that problem I was telling you about, which is the fact that I was shy, uh, by creating a platform that allowed me to meet without having to pick up someone from, from a public setting, which was really my, my weakness and my fear. What, what was your take on the other dating apps? And I don't know how many dating apps existed at the time that you were creating your own, but you mentioned you used these platforms, but they weren't fulfilling. They weren't providing what it is you needed and men like you or women like you needed. Yeah, I was simply just not getting enough responses um, on those dating sites or apps. Um, and if you ever get on Tinder um, and if you sign up as a female and you start swiping, you see what I mean. A lot of guys look really great. They have wonderful triceps and biceps and superficially they just present themselves a lot better than I do. So I needed a different way to to separate myself to, from the crowd, to stand out. And for me, it really was my success. And if you were to boil down to, of what success ultimately um, comprises of, obviously there's a set of mindset associated with, you know, why someone is successful, but it's with wealth. Like if you are successful, then you have managed to create value in society and therefore have money. Um, so Seeking was born with that intention in mind. It's a place where guys like me, who are successful, um, can meet women who want to meet us instead of the guys who perhaps have the good looks, who are young. So it's, it's a niche set of marketing, but it worked incredibly well for me and for a lot of Seeking members. I just had dinner a few nights ago with um, one of our power users, and he calls himself a power user, I suppose because his life story is very similar, you know, than mine. He had a, experienced a terrible heartbreak young, and he's uh, very much a nerd. Now he's an extremely successful businessman. And as he said, you know, the moment I signed up on Seeking, my life changed. I was no longer in a state of lack when it comes to meeting women, because that had been his lack all his life, just like it had been mine. It got taken out of context, did it? Is that what I read? When I read some articles 
about when Seeking first came about and what its purpose was. And I know it's been revamped recently um, with different uh, objectives, I think, to some extent. But at the time, it was very much conceived or believed to be, a, you know, a kind of sugar daddy site where rich, successful men could attract young women who were less successful or rich in their lives. What, what was it that people saw that was wrong with that, if there was anything wrong with it? I would say it's, it's that filthy component, you know, which you were referring to, which is at some level of that spectrum, uh, you have very wealthy guys who are meeting and falling in love. And then at the other spectrum, you have the elements of people who actually want money for sex. It's purely an exchange at that very bottom level. And at the top level, it's, it's something genuine. At some level of this spectrum, you know, the media unfortunately loves to focus on, on the negative because that, that's clickbait. And, and so it created this false narrative that people want to focus on, which is that, well, you're a pimp. You're, enab you're enabling money for ex in exchange for sex. You're, you know, that's what sugar dating is. And that's really not a problem until I would say roughly about three to four years ago. I think social media took hold and, and it became a big thing and it became a message that it was very difficult for us to control at that point because people are going to feel, uh, people are going to define a term any way they want. And these days, sugar daddy is, is another way to, to describe a John who pays um, for sex. And a sugar baby has that negative connotation as well now. But they're adults and they are entitled to make whatever decisions they want, right? And it's not for anybody else to, to judge whether they do or they, they don't. Um, you know, as long as they are protected and they're not vulnerable to the sense that they are being exploited. What I find really interesting, so you can educate me and the listeners on this, is when you're successful, wealthy um, and successful in, in some way, why would you need to go onto a dating app? Because that in itself, as your mother rightly said in a very wise advice to you, Brandon, is that when you're successful, it's like a magnet. You will draw people just because you are successful, regardless of what you've got. But that success brings with it confidence and the ability to communicate and do all the things that, that you've been doing in the world of work and, and, and entrepreneurship. Why... I can't get my head around, and I suppose people won't be able to get their head around. When people are successful and they're wealthy, they would need to go on a dating site because wherever they go in the world, it's going to be luxurious. It's going to be places where there are attractive people in different shapes and sizes. Why would they need to use a website? Well, there are lots of reasons. Uh, I, I would say the, the first reason would be like you could be a guy like me who's, who's actually really shy. And, and secondly, I think um, most people may not understand that Wealthy people, the ones who are successful, really have to deal with a lot of uh, painful experiences. And when I say painful, I mean emotionally painful, meaning that sometimes people are after you for your money. They're not, um, they're not truly there for you because they are your dear friends or, or your, your, your amazing co-workers. Like, you always have to, to put on that, that shield to protect yourself in, in, in a certain sense. So if you are in a social settings and all these women are coming up to, to talk to you because they know who you are, well, that's precisely the point. They know who you are. And, and so maybe they, they like you for something that they know as opposed to who you truly are. Whereas on a dating site, you don't really have to 
tell the world who you are. I mean, specifically on Seeking, you can, you can create a persona, an online persona, so to say, maybe a, a true representation of yourself, but more the inner version of yourself, uh, that kid version of yourself, the version that you actually want to be. And in that process, you get to speak to people from all walks of life that are strangers as well. And then you formulate that conversation where you actually get to know the person for who they are, not what society uh, thinks of who they are. Yeah, which is the problem that successful people have. I don't think people really ultimately know who Elon Musk is unless you have a chance to speak to him and understand what's really deep in his soul. Absolutely. I, I was looking at your website yesterday and today and I found it very transparent, the Seeking website. It's, you know, and I don't know why I was surprised by that. I suppose because maybe my judgment is coloured slightly in that I'm thinking based on some of the information I've read that I was expecting to see something different. I think your backstory uh, uh, you shared with me today, that the, the advice you got from your mother, which is clearly represented on your website and why you set up the website... How important is that to you, based on what you've just said? Because I found, like I say, your website very transparent in what it's trying to do and what it's telling people. It's not just, you know, go and find yourself a man or a woman. This is a website like Tinder or any of these other websites. Your website's trying to do something different. I, I don't know the landscape of dating apps. And to be honest, I've never used a dating app. I've been very fortunate in that maybe I'm the opposite to you. I've been confident enough or cheeky enough or rebellious enough to attract people just because of my bad behavior. And you will know women try to tame those guys that um, grow up being like I was. But why is your website so, so transparent? Why is it important that people see very clearly what it's about and what it's for? I think, I think the concept of transparency sort of ties deep into relationships. If you cannot be honest about who you are and what you want, that is the starting point of any sort of discussion of a relationship, isn't it? If, if, you are, if you are not being honest about what you truly seek. And some of those people, unfortunately, uh, look for very superficial things. And, um, but society should allow people to search for even superficial things because in that journey or that chase lies the answer for that individual. You might go down that chase and eventually one day you realize, oh my goodness, this does not bring me happiness. Then you're going to switch and change at that moment. But if you tell people, no, you're not allowed to make mistakes, that's a very dangerous and slippery slope, I, I believe, for society in general. I, I found it when I looked at the website and I thought it's still quite clear that, you know, if you're a wealthy, successful individual, that your wealth and success um, will be attractive to those who are looking for somebody who's wealthy and successful how does somebody who uses your site including yourself brandon you must know lots of other how do you get past the fact that the individual woman that's attracted to you is not attracted to you for the reasons you described a moment ago that because of your wealth you you, you know because of your your success and no matter how much they pretend to say it's about love or about your physical abilities your prowess in bed whatever it is how does somebody get past that thought that they're only with you because of your wealth and success i think that's a really difficult one because because it, it hits at the core of of you know what each and every one of us truly want at the end of the day and we all just want to be loved genuinely loved for who we are and that's that's ultimately what i think we all want 
And so when, when you start to question if somebody likes you for other reasons, and, and you can tell, and this is what sixth sense mean or intuition, right? Because if somebody behaves a certain way, it's going to show in their body language. It's going to show it with your actions. Things I'm just not going to measure up. And I think for me, I ended up in a really dark place because very soon I was just convinced that it's impossible to find that version of love. And I needed to perhaps accumulate more and more and more relationships. And at one point, after my third divorce, I was in poly relationships and I was dating multiple women at the same time. It, uh, it did not bring me happiness. I thought the Hugh Hafner lifestyle was the way to go because look, he was so happy and smiling all the time with all the blonde women around him. Um, but these days we know that's a persona that's not really accurate because if you read those books by the Playmates, it was actually much more complicated than that. It's actually, there's actually a lot more drama involved in that lifestyle than people can imagine. And how was you able to manage that in your own life, Brandon? How was you able to break free uh, of where you ended up, which was an unhappy place and not in love or not feeling the love that you wanted to feel? Well, I would say I was really lost uh, at 50, uh, two years, two and a half years ago, um, in the middle of COVID. I was uh, celebrating my 50th birthday alone. And um, uh, it, was, uh, it was a really difficult day because my best friend had ordered five cakes for me and I, I was alone um, by myself eating those five cakes without, without anyone. I mean, of course, people called me and I, I, had a, I had a video conference with my family and all that, but I was still alone. And I just was sitting there wondering, what did I do wrong in my life? And soon after that, when I you know, when I got back to Las Vegas, where, where the office is, I, I called a psychic that um, a friend of mine had recommended me to, to call because he said she was really accurate in, in a reading. And what she said to me didn't make sense at all. She, she told me that, well, you will find what you're looking for soon. In fact, she should be appearing in your life now and you are getting married again. And I was like, no freaking way am I getting married again. I was actually in the process of writing a book called, you know, Marriage is a Scam. <laughs> My theory was that if people grow apart, then how can you make commitments that require you to be stuck with someone for the rest of your life if people simply grow apart? I mean, it just does not make sense. But I was, I'm wrong. You know, th that view is completely wrong. And I'll explain why soon. But... But once, I, once she told me that and she said, well, you'll, you'll relocate to another state. And I'm like, there's no way I'm relocating. I'm happy where I am. So I hung up the phone and sure enough, two weeks later, I, I met Dana on, on my website. And that's all I could really say is it's, it's, it's hard to explain that, that moment. Um, but soon after, I was doing things that was really uncharacteristic of me. Within a month of meeting Dana, I, I, bought a, I bought a house in Florida where she was going to college. And that's uncharacteristic of me. I don't just do that. But something about her speaks to me. And it, it could be her body language. It could be the way she treats me. It, it, it's, just, it's just there's something a lot deeper there. And that was the beginning of, I would say, that conversion or change for me. So for people out there who are perhaps stuck in a rut, all I will say is, 
that I, I was wrong in saying that love doesn't exist. Love actually does exist. And when you finally understand what it is, then you can begin to look for that right version of love and not the wrong version of love. So it's funny because late last night, Dana and I was up and we were having a discussion and we came across the word commitment. And if you go on the English dictionary, you will see that there's two definitions for the word commitment. And, and I, I would reckon to say that that is also the problem of society. It's because the word commitment has two definitions. Tell me what those two definitions are, Brandon. Okay, well, the first definition would be that, well, it's an obligation. You know, it's something that you have to do. It takes freedom away from you. It's sacrifice. It's like that, right? It's, uh, it's something where you actually lose something for it. The other definition is a little different. It's actually the optimistic view of commitment, which is that, well, when you like something so much, you're doing it because you just want to. It is a decision. It is willpower. So when we dissect into that definition, we realize that, well, one version of the definition of commitment is commitment with love. Because when love is present, commitment is no longer an obligation. Commitment now is the foundation that when things go bad, when times are bad, when people are suffering, when the relationship is suffering, that you have a foundation you can always lean on so you never give up. And, and all of a sudden it powers through all the suffering that you have. The other version of commitment is, um, is commitment without love. Is commitment for other reasons and it's funny because you can apply that not just to the love of, of a relate in, in a romantic relationship you can apply that to the employees that you hire as well things are not easy these days I'll, I'll give you that because the economy is not doing well and, and of course in, in the case of my dating site we're, we're undergoing this huge transformation of how we brand ourselves to the public to explain to the world hey we're not that sort of seedy version you think we are we're actually aiming for love, we're aiming for luxury, we're aiming for the things that people care about, which is that genuine connection that ultimately makes each of us happy. That's what seeking is about. But in the process, we're going some, you know, you know, we're just running into difficulties because um, we need the right talents, we need the right people. Times are tough, right? The revenue is taking a slight dip. And there are employees who quit at that time, right? And uh, my point to, to, to people, again, is, well, there are two types of employees. They're the ones who will stay during good times, but will stay and work even harder during bad times because they are committed, because they're committed with love, because they care. And then there are those employees who quit because they are like, well, I have a better opportunity somewhere now, um, or life is going to be easier if I work for a bigger company. They are committed. Yeah, but uh, not really. When times are tough, they'll take a, a hike and they'll go somewhere else. That version of commitment, it's not the real kind of commitment, but that's the kind of commitment that we see in most places around the world today. So being able to differentiate those two will make you see the world very differently all of a sudden. Can you love more than once? I, I, I don't know why I have this kind of idea that true love it only exists once. You, you talk about the very first time you were in love and how it broke you slightly as a young man because you thought that was the beginning and end of everything. But can you, given you have such an insight on 
what you believe love is. Can you love more than, than once? I mean, can you give yourself, devote yourself? Or were those earlier marriages, in your own case, for example, not real love? I mean, because they broke down, it obviously signifies that they were not what you've now found love to be. Or we were back then both very much unaware of our own issues, of our own trauma, of our own limitations, and um, and for that reason, it's not the right fit. I think, I think soulmates are meant to meet in this world, help each other through this this sort of realization of awakening, so to say, to really truly understand love. But but you're right. Um, it is possible to love more than one, but not in a romantic relationship. Uh, you can have more than one brother. You can have more than one sister. You can have more than one friends. Those are acceptable human relationships. And once we leave our body, we are pure spirit and soul. You can love as many people as you want, uh, right? I mean, at that level, it's fine. But as a human, there are specific conditions that make it impossible uh, to share. And I'll explain that. I mean, a simple thought experiment I had with Dana um, many, many uh, uh, months ago was that imagine that I was with you in a spaceship, and let's pick a third person that we all want to be in love with. And by the way, when I met her, I was still Polly, so I told her that's one of the conditions to dating me, that you would have to accept that I date other women, and I might want to find a happy sort of poly family, which might include you and one or two other women. And I told her that, and she was open to that. In fact, that's the beauty of it. She, her mind was not limited. She had an open mind to all possibilities, except one thing. She will always ask me why, which, uh, which is really a funny thing, because as a successful guy, very few people ask you why. Yeah, they don't want to challenge you. But asking me why is the best thing in the world because it makes me think of my own decisions. And sometimes I'm like, oh shit, my logic does not make any sense. Um, so one of the thought experiments we had was, imagine there was three people and it's me and perhaps you and another girl and we are stuck in a spaceship and um, it's gonna explode and there's only a, an escape hatch for two. Who's gonna go in there? And we were doing that thought experiment first of all with another woman and. And um, my point is, well, in the case of three, I'm going to love one more than the other. It's just the nature of just being human and in romantic relationships. And so from that perspective, we realized, well, you know, that simply won't work. Because if you love one person just even slightly more than the other, then you're going to prefer to go to that person or spend a little bit more time with that person. So because humans, because it's impossible for humans to separate our resources that way, whether the resources is our time or attention or our money, equally down to the T. Therefore, poly relationships, well, once you figure out love, uh, you'll realize that it's really difficult to make work. I'm not saying it's impossible. You would literally have to treat each person equally and actually love each other equally. And that is just very difficult as a human. When I listen to your journey of finding the love that you have now, this is not me questioning your devotion to each other, but I do go back to how vulnerable you were at the time that you found love, how vulnerable you were at the time when you were having a conversation with a psychic. And I'm sure this isn't the first time that you've been in a vulnerable position where you're more open 
to to being led in a particular way how do you protect yourself from that because there will be plenty of men and women who maybe on the bounce of a relationship find someone that they think loves them and my second part of that question is how do you separate the physical attraction to somebody from the the soulmate because for me when you said soulmate that for me is what love is about because you don't need to have a physical attraction with a soulmate when you have a soulmate somebody that you just you just see eye to eye with on everything you think differently but almost the same if that makes sense you you want to be with each other you do things with each other you rely on each other you trust each other more than you trust anything or anyone else so that vulnerability brandon and the the separation of physical attraction not not with emotional attraction but but that kind of soulmate attraction vulnerability is a tough one um but you have to be vulnerable to find love uh that's that's really true and 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 so uh for for a lot of people who are hurt it, it's really difficult to to be vulnerable um right away and and that's fine too i think I think it's okay to sort of adopt a slightly wait and see approach and and then slowly um, give out more information about yourself uh, and slowly sort of let the let the guard down. I think that's an okay approach as well. But don't let vulnerability stop you from the search for sure um, or or the the fear of being vulnerable because ultimately what you find at the end of uh, the tunnel is is just so great. It's so great. It's life changing. That's that's all I will say. Um. So I will offer just words of encouragement for people. Just don't be afraid to to look for love. It it might hurt, but learn from your mistakes. Realize the types of things that got you in trouble the the first time or the last time, and don't repeat that. Most people end up in this repeating cycle because they're dating for something else, right? I mean, if you are in an abusive relationship, why is it so easy for you to end up in another abusive relationship? That's because you have not learned from your mistakes from the past. Look for the warning signs. Perhaps the person you're with is highly insecure. Look at the way they speak to you. Look at the way they treat you. Um, even in small sentences or words, um, like man, you look really great today. I'm, uh, you know, wh- whatever the reasons. Oh, the, the guys, you know, all my friends are gonna think you're too hot. Maybe you should change instead of wearing that tight skirt of yours. That's an insecure statement. So you know, look for the warning signs, and perhaps find a more secure guy who's not gonna do that to you. Um, when it comes to physical attraction, I think attraction is really important. I, th- I think so, and I think, but you're right. There are different types of soulmates. Um, they're soulmates who are brothers. I've seen brothers who are soulmates. Literally, they are inseparable. I've, I've got a, a, a brother, a, a pair of brothers who actually work with me very closely. And honestly, it's, I, I never see them apart from each other. So you're right in that there's a, a segment of soulmates that are friends who are soulmates or sisters or brothers. But then there's that romantic soulmate where it's, just 100% the right fit. I, I don't know how to explain it. And when you find it, I, I guess you, you understand, but you have to be open to finding that. The first step is to realize that there's a possibility of finding that because once you open up your mind to that possibility, now it exists. And I can explain a lot of how reality works through, through the lenses of a, of a physicist. 
looking at the quantum sort of space and quantum physics and why the human mind works as a quantum computer and why we can actually affect our future simply by thought alone and by feelings. And I can specifically speak to that as well if we need to, but realize that the moment you think it's possible, it actually becomes possible. That's the very first step. Just because you think it. Yes, just because you think it. And you actually have to really believe it in the end, but thinking it is the first step because you're finally entertaining that thought now, whereas in the past you would always shut it down. A soulmate at a romantic level is a perfect connection. Even flaws begin to look like the ideal. I have my flaws. You know, it's a, as, as an Asian in the Asian culture, you know, one of the things is, you know, unfortunately kids would say, oh, this is gross, but, but I, I do fart sometimes. And Dana <laughs> finds that adorable. <laughs> Most people would be like, shit, like that's unattractive. Stop that. We've, we've talked a lot about your kind of personal challenges with, with love and your success with, with love. What makes you successful, Brandon? What, what, what has taken you to where you are in your life now where no doubt you're, the, you're at your most happiest because you found the woman that you truly love, although you've been there before um, and it wasn't quite what you thought it was. But you've also you know, built a successful business in the face of adversity because some people criticised it or the media criticised it or questioned its behaviour. How, how did you get past all, all of that? Given what you said at the very beginning, that you were shy, you were reserved, you weren't the man that you've become or have developed in your personality. How do you push past all of that? I would say I have to give my parents the credit for, for that one. And in, in a crazy way, um, my parents did love me. And I was kind of unaware of that because my entire focus on love was on the romantic version of love. But even my, my, my parents, they sacrificed a lot in, you know, and, and they taught us right. And they, they gave us all the resources we needed to succeed. But most importantly is they installed a mindset that is what I call the success mindset, which is, you know, to work hard, to not be afraid of failures, to always get up and try again, uh, to keep an open mind, uh, and to actually believe that you can achieve what you set out to achieve. If you have those sort of thought process, then you, you cannot fail. And I failed many times in my life. I've launched five to different six, five to six different companies that failed before I actually landed on seeking.com that became a wild success. But I did not stop. I, I just kept picking myself up, relearning the lessons or learning the lessons and then trying again. If only people knew how easy it is to be successful, I think there'll be a lot more successful people out there. But the reason people are held back is because somewhere along the way, somebody said, or did something to them that was really traumatic, that shook their self-confidence. And at the deep core of it, if, if you are not confident, then fear takes over. And it's very difficult to move at that moment. You have already shut off that part of your brain that creates for you. You are in survival mode, you are in victimhood. And it's, it's impossible to be successful that way. How successful has Seeking been? I mean, for those who know nothing about it, how successful? I read something that it has 
40 million subscribers or members, I mean, worldwide. How successful is Seeking? Has it been? It is very successful um, in many different ways. I think from a revenue perspective, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a business that um, generates over $100 million in revenue. It's a pretty well-known brand. Everywhere Dana and I go and we speak to people, people have heard about Seeking. And certainly it's notorious past at the, at the very least, but people have heard of Seeking. So it is extremely successful, I would say. What's next? I mean, I know you're on this whirlwind of marriage, love, and you know, continuing to develop that, but what's next for Brandon? Or are you at that stage in life where because you found your soulmate, the love of your life, you can enjoy the things that you couldn't enjoy previously? I would say I always make time for enjoying life. That's one of the things I'm, I'm really good at. And, and perhaps it's because I've dated so many uh, women off of seeking and in the process, they've taught me how to be young. They really have. I mean, I, once I got wealthy, I realized I suffered from the state of being too stingy and um, being too afraid of spending my money. Um, because that's just the nature of it all. You're not familiar that uh, you know you, you've learned your whole life that it's 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 hard to earn money and you have to be careful and save it. And now you have wealth. Learning how to spend money is another thing you have to do. And I was lucky in the sense that I met women who showed me how to spend money and how to spend it wisely and how to spend it in a way to gain experiences I would otherwise not have experienced. My goal now is to change people's perception of seeking, um, to really establish it as a luxury dating website. And when, when I say luxury, I'm also trying to teach people what luxury really means. Just because you carry a Prada bag or a Chanel handbag doesn't mean it's luxury. It depends on the circumstances behind why, why and how you're carrying that bag. If you have dated a a rich sugar daddy who bought you that handbag and now you're wearing it proudly, you're doing it to cover up your insecurities, then that's not true luxury. Because the true luxurious person would be able to walk into a Chanel store, buy whatever he or she wants without even looking at the price tag, right? And be, be extremely carefree about it because that's what true luxury is. It's finally having so much abundance and not just in wealth, but in time, to appreciate it fully for what it is. That is what true luxury is. And the British, I mean, the British knows what true luxury is. I mean, this is centuries of, right, monarchy and, and understanding what, uh, that's a part of the culture of Europe. Europe understands luxury. America, not so much still. But it does exclude so many people, doesn't it, Brandon? Because not many people can walk into a shop and not look at the price, especially in this day and age. I mean, it does separate the world that you live in and the people you appeal to through your site. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it only includes a very small amount of people, even here in the UK, in London. The answer is yes, but the number of wealthy people has already grown exponentially since the 18th century or even the 16th century. We are these days so wealthy as humanity in general, we have more wealthy people than ever before. And we will continue to have more wealthy people than ever before because 
people are finally figuring out that it's actually not that hard to be successful, to be truly successful, to work on things that you're truly passionate about. Because once you implement the, the, the concept of love into what you do, that becomes passion, no longer an obligation. And when you work on something that you're passionate in, you tend to become more likely to succeed. Especially if you have the mindset of you know, not worrying about failures and picking yourself up again and keep trying. So that would, be, uh, that would be my take, is to really transform seeking into that luxury dating site and to tell people that if you don't give someone else that's perhaps not in your circle a shot and date perhaps outside that box that you have found yourself sort of trapped in, whether it's the boys from your small town or the types of friends that you normally have and therefore you only date them. If you can date outside of that box, then all of a sudden a lot more possibilities exist and why not give it a shot and date someone who's successful? And if, you, if it doesn't work out, at least you can learn something from him or her in the process. What, 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 what else are you passionate about other than the, the, the ambition to make seeking achieve another goal? and the love that you found, what, what, what are you passionate about, Brandon, outside of the world of your work? I, I would say Dana and I um, feel that we have a mission. And I think that our mission is to really explain what love is to people the way we, we have come to understand it. And I'm not saying other people's versions are wrong either. I mean, love is at the end of the day, whatever you want it to be. Because that's the beauty of the mind is you get to create what you want. But, but we hope that we could offer a version of, of an explanation of love that can make us all happy. And, and so, uh, so, so it's funny. Um, I guess I was asked the question is, uh, you know, what are you, what are you seeking? Which is kind of back to the, the name of the site. And I would say I, would, uh, I, I actually had to give that thought, uh, that question, a, a lot of thought. Because Dana asked me that question, I would say, a few weeks ago. And um, I came up with the answer to be happy in the now. Um, and, and since then, I've already had some new transformations in my life because, um, because what does it mean to be happy in the now? It means at any given moment in the now, I should be extremely happy. Achieving that state is not easy. And for me and Dana, achieving that state is when we're both 12-year-old kids jumping in bed, being stupid and silly, we're playing games, we're all over each other. That is the state that I find myself in when I'm happy in the now with her. So I have, I have something to sort of aim for these days. Um, and we found it really difficult when we, when we go to work and deal with uh, issues at work, whether it be the three lawsuits I'm involved in right now, or, or employees quitting, um, um, and, and things of that nature. I've found that by the end of the week, we're out of that state. Uh, and, and it's very difficult for me to get back into that state because my mind is now stuck on all the negative things that are happening in my life. And I am suffering deep inside. Uh, and, um, and so Dana and I have been working on how to, how, to get, how to help me get myself back into that state quickly. And eventually to get to a point where I can live in that state every single day, every single minute, of my life. And if I'm able to achieve that, I would love to teach the world how I do it. But that is my goal right now. It's an interesting one because I suppose it, 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 people's measures are different 
and, and when you mention passion, you know, in my world of work, my passion is trying to you know educate people about those who are less fortunate, those that are marginalised. And I wanted to ask you because it's the area of I, I specialise a lot in, and it's probably. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably not a world that your world collides with. The world of criminality, the world of um, prison, the world of people who are living in inhumane conditions um, in prisons around the world. I, I, I do a lot of work in that space. Does that ever cross your world, Brandon, in any way? In some sense, yes. I mean, when you look at seeking, there are crimes committed when people meet, right? When you match millions of people together, things happen. So in that sense, there is that mix. But uh, it's, it's all a part of society. It's what things, yeah. The way I would say it is, uh, well, I guess I don't really understand your question. Have you ever been to a prison? Have you ever met somebody who's been to prison? Have you ever... Um spent time talking to someone who has a completely different objective in life to your own life. I mean, in that space, I'm sure there has been in many other spaces. And, and what do you think about that space? I would say I'm, I'm very sympathetic. I'm really sympathetic because I've done some research in, 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 in a number of areas in that space. I was involved uh, certainly um, in, in some research when I was at, at MIT with, uh, with a homeless population, actually. And some, a lot of them have actually been incarcerated. And I, I understand the conditions that they live in and why, why it happened that way. I've also read um, numerous research that shows um, that when, um, when inner city kids that grew up in really bad neighborhoods uh, when they did a survey of, of, uh, of those kids, they found that the ones who ultimately had a successful productive life versus the ones who ended up in prison had somehow along the way during their childhood experienced a very kind or caring act by another individual. So it is still love at the end of the day that changes people. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at is, uh, is that I don't, I don't see anyone in prison as being a bad individual or having done anything wrong. The reason for that is actually very simple. The reason people sin, and this is also something that I feel is, is relatively new because when I asked ChatGPT the other day, uh, why do people sin? And it gave me all bun a bunch of answers from the religious texts and, and also from uh, psychiatry and all that. But there was a very simple answer that I was looking for that it did not give. And the answer is people sin because they're, they're suffering. They're hurting. Why are they hurting? They're hurting because somebody else did something to them that hurt them. And well, why did that person do that? Well, because that person was suffering too. And so you can trace the suffering back many generations and in fact infinitely into the past and very soon you'll be like, well, it came from nowhere. Realize that. How do you turn the ship around? Start by loving. Do you know why I asked the question? It's because you mentioned you and Dana are on this mission to, to make people more aware of what love can mean. And when I talk about people in prison, where I do a lot of my work, um, it's because those people in prison have never experienced love. These people have, as you say, they've been traumatised in their own lives. 
and have never experienced something. And it just makes me think the way that you talk about love and how you want to share that to more people, isn't it the most vulnerable that could be educated about what love actually means as opposed to those who have experienced it in many different ways and have never not known anything but love. It's just that their experiences have been very different as opposed to those who have never in their entire lives been loved, been in love, have felt loved by anyone, whether it's in a relationship or a parent or a sibling or, or society itself. And I'm not just talking about those that have come from very poor backgrounds. I mean, even those that come from different backgrounds who have never been loved and that's what's led them into the darkest place that, that they can imagine being in, which is, 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 is prison. And it just makes me wonder if people like yourself who have the power to share such a positive story about love and have a deep understanding of what it means that just sharing that with those in the most vulnerable situations could benefit? I would think so, and I would hope so. Yet, it's, it's sort of a, it's a personal sort of issue for me in the sense that until I, um, until I finally understand it and, 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 and I'm able to achieve that state, which I'm telling you about, which is to be happy in the now, I feel that I'm not quite ready for that for that journey to teach because there's a lot of people out there who, who are teaching, a lot of self-help guru, for example. And I'm not sure if all of them are, are saying or t- are teaching the right things is, is, is what I'm saying. Well, their um, motivation is very different. I, I, I see some of these gurus that you're talking about, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I think their motivation is coming from a very different place. They are generating their wealth from sharing that knowledge that's not where you're at because you've already generated your wealth through your work so it's not like you need to they have and they use it for that reason that's my cynical kind of view of those types of gurus who think that educating people teaching people about something that they financially benefit from is is for me a bit far removed from you know someone who can share their insights who doesn't need to benefit but they're giving to somebody who needs I, I think that sharing and giving, perhaps creating a community um, where, where people could feel that genuine love, uh, a community formed by people who understand love and perhaps want to practice love uh, would be extremely helpful. I, I admire the work you do and if, if there's a way to partner up, I would love to do so, um, to share, to explain, to teach. and. It's, it's funny because if only each of us understand what it means to be a human, we're not animals, we're humans, but we behave like animals because we don't know any better yet. Um, but, but these days, the science, the physics, all of that is coming together in such a, even AI, understanding how artificial intelligence work. It's uh, how meaning is created, how computers are built from scratch. From just zero and ones, we can create a reality of uh, a virtual reality capable of simulating what our reality is, is like. When you start to understand all these aspects of science as they come together, you begin to paint a picture of what being human means. Being human is extraordinary, especially during this very moment in time, the now. It's not the 12th century, it's, uh, it's 2023. And our technology is growing at an exponential path. 
it leads us to understand not just what we are capable of, you know, what our brain is capable of, what our mind is capable of, um, but also what our ultimate destiny is as, as humans are. We are here to understand love. We're here to create. We're here to just live feeling so amazing every day. We are, we're here to be kids, 12-year-old kids all the time, having fun, enjoying, poking fun at each other. We're not fighting wars because wars come from suffering and the person who's waging war is the one who's suffering the most. Understand that. And fighting him with more warheads ain't going to stop that. Although, granted, you still need those warheads to prevent others from taking advantage of you. Don't get me wrong. I understand that too. But there's a, a balance needs to be achieved. But it's, it's an amazing time. It's an optimistic time to be a human in 2023. Be so glad you're alive and realize that there is a new way to think. There's a new way to live that can change that can change humanity. And do you know what, Brandon, it all said and done, even with, with, with all what you've just talked about, AI, uh, you know, and all the intelligence, there is nothing that can compensate for that moment where you just cuddle someone, you feel that that moment, in that very moment, you, you know, you can create all the computers you want in the world, but you can't cuddle a computer like you can another fellow human being. Here is a question and my final question. What does second chance mean to you, if anything? I think everybody should be given a second chance and everybody should be given a third chance and a fourth chance. And in fact, infinite number of chances, because that's what we deserve as humans. That's what it's all about. Literally, that's what it's all about. And you yourself has to give, have to give yourself that infinite number of chances and not be afraid to stand up and try again and not be afraid of admitting that you were wrong in the past. And as we end, I will say that the past is in fact the past. It's gone. Yesterday is as good as a billion years ago. It's as though it never happened. And that gives you the ability to be in the now, to look forward in the future, yeah, with, with optimism and positivity. Thank you so much, Brendan, for joining me today. Thank you, Raphael, for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Second Chance podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. You can find the video of this interview on our YouTube channel at Second Chance Podcast, where you can also subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Please share our episodes with your friends, family and colleagues and follow us on YouTube and your preferred podcast platform for updates on new episodes. Your feedback is crucial to the growth of our podcast, so please rate and review our episode and let us know your thoughts in the comments section. We rely on several talented individuals and teams to bring this podcast to life. Sophie Warner, Lewis Hunt and Logan Martin assist create our content. Audio Avalanche handles audio editing. J-Row Productions creates original music. Studio Minerva designs our eye-catching covers. Social Media Marketing Agency Scribble manages and creates our social media content. Kim Cullicutt oversees episode production with me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Even- 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.